This week's episode of the Olithia Podcast is brought to you by absolutely no one. But if you'd like to hear your or your business's name at the beginning of this podcast, send me an email at theolithiapodcast at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Okay, look, I get it. You don't really want to be here either. I mean, let's face it, between being stuck at home with your parents, isolated from your friends, and potentially being unemployed, listening to this is probably just another desperate attempt to pass time. Or, more likely, you're probably only here because I asked you to, and when I say I asked you, I really mean because my mom asked you. Well, whatever your reason. I promise to make this worth your while. So get comfortable. Because we're going to talk about the thing that probably has you stuck here listening to me in the first place. COVID-19, also known as SARS-CoV-2, the coronavirus, and I swear if you try to add Chinese virus to that list, I'm going to stop you right there before I verbally slap the stupid out of you. In case that didn't make it painfully obvious, this is not going to be your average science or news podcast. Welcome to my show, kids. It's going to be a hell of a ride. Hi. My name's Alex Joseph, your friendly neighborhood sleep-deprived pre-med, here to make science a little more user-friendly and the world a little less full of lies. This is the Aletheia Podcast. Okay, but seriously, jokes aside, like it or not, we're in the middle of a historic pandemic which honestly we probably should have seen coming given that both 1820 and 1920 had large outbreaks of diseases, which if anything only further convinces me that we're living in a simulation, but I digress. The COVID-19 pandemic has infected millions and killed thousands. But what's so bad about this virus anyway? I mean, isn't it just a slightly worse flu? Well, if only it were. COVID-19, or as it's known in scientific circles, SARS-CoV-2, is a force to be reckoned with. The tiny particle responsible for all of this destruction belongs to a family of viruses known more broadly as coronaviruses. That's why public health officials largely switched over to calling it COVID-19. After all, the common cold is also a coronavirus in one of its variants, as were the viruses responsible for the SARS and MERS outbreaks. These little guys get their names from the tiny spikes which lined their surface, resembling a crown, which is what the word corona means in Latin. But make no mistake, those spikes are not exactly for decoration. They're actually a set of proteins called spike glycoproteins which hook into your cells, allowing for the virus to inject its genetic material into them. In milder cases, yes, it resembles a mild respiratory infection, but in the more serious cases, It infects your bronchial tubes, causing your inflammatory system to go wild, and your immune response can cause something called a cytokine storm. Effectively, that's where your own immune system does to your lung tissue what Takashi69 did to music. Spoiler alert, it's not very pretty. As of when this is being recorded, worldwide, COVID-19 has infected 5.08 million and killed 332,000 people. And in the U.S., the numbers aren't that much better. Here, it's infected 1.61 million and claimed over 95,000 lives. Now, you might be thinking, well, sure, Alex, I already knew that, but doesn't it only affect old people and people who, like, have AIDS or something? Well, yeah, sure, it's definitely not exactly easy for people who are already immunocompromised or dealing with underlying conditions like many elderly people are. 
But the fact is, we're learning more and more each day that it doesn't just affect them. People as young as their 20s are dying. In fact, new reports that are starting to come out suggest that COVID-19 can cause strokes in patients as young as their 30s. Why exactly this is happening is the subject of further research. But it goes to show that this disease can affect a variety of different body systems and as a result is deadly in a variety of ways. So comparing it to the flu just isn't accurate. It's far more dangerous than that and that's true even if you consider numbers. The thing about numbers surrounding flu deaths per year is that they're largely estimates. I'll give you an example. The CDC has estimated that since 2010, annually in the United States, the flu claims between 12,000 and 61,000 lives per year. That is a range of almost 40,000 deaths. You see why that's not a very accurate comparison? And even if you're going by that number, COVID-19 has already killed way more people than that per year, as we've already discussed. So trying to compare the two just doesn't make sense. Now, what's the reason for this discrepancy? Largely, it's because our flu deaths are based on estimates. We don't actually go ahead and confirm that every single person who has the flu is actually died from that. Why? Because the flu just isn't a pandemic in the same way that COVID is. Yes, it has a usual season, but there are many different strains of the flu. And every year we predict that it's going to come and there are vaccines for the flu as well. Comparing the two situations just doesn't make any sense. They're not analogous in any sort of way. Especially if you consider the severity of COVID-19 and the fact that we are lacking treatments for it as the pandemic goes on. And that's one thing that we have to understand. Misconceptions, such as the one that COVID can be in any way compared to the flu, only further the likelihood that people will put themselves at risk because they don't take the virus seriously enough. You know that Billy Bob Joe looking ass dude who just refused to put on a mask in your local Whole Foods? Florida, I'm looking at you. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that happens. And that's exactly what puts people at risk. And look, I can sit here and tell jokes about how stupid these people are, but the fact is that wouldn't be productive. And that's saying something because I really like roasting people. You honestly can't even blame them. There's so much misinformation out there. And so... That's why I've decided to go through a few of the myths surrounding COVID-19 now that we've sort of discussed exactly why it's so dangerous in order to help you make more accurate and beneficial decisions regarding your practices on a day-to-day -day basis. So first, let's clear up any misconceptions you might have about how this whole thing got started. As we know, as I'm sure a lot of you have already been told, this virus started in Wuhan, China. Around the end of last December, their municipal health department had started to report a few cases of pneumonia. When they realized that this was a new emergent condition, the WHO started to get involved, and as I'm sure you know from there, it started to spread not only throughout China, but throughout the world as well. It made its way to the United States in late January, around the 20th, in Washington state, when a person who had traveled from Wuhan, China, brought it back with them. Now, before you go around blaming Chinese people for this, I want you to relax, okay? It's not that deep. A pandemic can start anywhere. And blaming it unnecessarily on Asian Americans not only perpetuates racism, but it doesn't help anyone. What are you going to gain by blaming Asian people for this? Literally nothing. They had nothing to do with the start of this virus, and if anything, probably wanted to go away as much, if not more, than the rest of us because of the negative stereotypes that's perpetuated about them. So do yourself and my Asian American brothers and sisters 
a big favor and don't levy unnecessary blame about it towards them. But I'm sure some of you have also heard an unfortunate rumor about the start of this virus, and I'm here to clear this up. As of right now, there is literally no evidence to suggest that this virus was designed in a Wuhan lab. Okay, and scientists and intelligence experts have agreed on this. Despite President Trump's claims that it has obviously been created in a lab, the intelligence community has markedly declined to actually comment on or even bother to try and confirm this. What's more, if you look at the DNA sequences between this virus and similar viruses in the same family, it appears to me and to most scientists out there in the world that this is very genetically similar to a family of coronaviruses found in bats. In fact, as part of an exercise for my genetics class, one of the things we had to do was sort of go through its genetic sequence in order to identify exactly what was different about it. And the major difference? Between it and its closest relative in bats, the main difference between the coronavirus and its other relatives is that there's a 12 nucleotide long sequence in its genome. And what we think this might have something to do with is its timeline, essentially, for infection. But this doesn't necessarily mean that it was engineered in any way, just because this sequence exists. After all, viruses are pretty good at picking up external DNA from other sources. And even though this is an RNA virus, same thing applies. It could easily have been integrated from another host and transmitted zoonotically. Now, before you rush to a different conclusion because it's closely related to bat viruses, I'm going to have to stop you right there. Currently, we have no idea exactly how it got transmitted into humans. So what I'm saying to you is we don't know that somebody actually ate a bat and that's why this whole thing started. In fact, what's equally likely is that although it may have had its origin in bats, a bat easily could have bitten another animal. And then if that animal was eaten by a human, then the virus could also have been transmitted to them that way, especially if they decided to eat it undercooked. Regardless, even if some reports have traced this virus back to an animal market in Wuhan doesn't mean that ascribing the, oh, Chinese people eat bats stereotype is at all A, accurate, or B, even helpful. Because what do we even do with that information at this point? It's not going to help us develop treatments or vaccines for it. Speaking of treatments... I can't believe I even have to say this, but despite the advice of the President of the United States, please, for the love of all that is holy, do not drink disinfectant, bleach, or rubbing alcohol. These things will not prevent or cure COVID and will likely kill you even faster. Okay? I don't even know why this has to be said. And before you say he was being sarcastic, that really didn't stop certain people from trying. In fact, just a few weeks ago, a 40-year-old man following the advice of President Trump decided to drink a bottle of rubbing alcohol and damaged his brain so badly that he ended up in a coma. Thankfully, he managed to survive and they sent him home a few days later, but this applies for all kinds of disinfectants. Another person decided to drink bleach and it burned his vocal cords so badly that when doctors inserted a camera down his throat to see the extent of the damage, they couldn't even find them. Okay, you don't want that to be you. These things are meant to be used on surfaces and outside of your body. Your human body is very delicate, more so than most people realize. We are not perfectly designed to be able to withstand chemicals like that, and in fact, most of them will kill you. So don't do it. Okay? 
Another common misconception that's going around is that hydroxychloroquine is somehow the end-all be-all to the virus, that it's this magical panacea that's supposed to cure all of us. Spoiler alert, there's no evidence to suggest this. In fact, even though the FDA put it on a sort of fast track to allow hospitals to start to use more of it in light of the pandemic, the AMA quickly started recommending that people do not prescribe this anymore. Reason being, there weren't any trials that were showing it was actually effective. In fact, some trials were starting to suggest that in the most severe cases of COVID, it might actually worsen symptoms as opposed to alleviating them. And there's a reason for this. Hydroxychloroquine is a malaria drug. It's not meant or approved for use in COVID. We haven't done extensive testing in order to show that it is actually effective. And this is a problem. Okay, yes, everyone is desperate for treatments or for a cure. But if we start prescribing medicines willy-nilly, we're bound to hurt more people than we actually help. And that's why doctors have largely stopped prescribing the drug at all. But there is a little bit of hope. Testing on several kinds of vaccines has recently started. They're not available yet. But several companies are now starting to develop vaccines that are looking promising that could be available in the winter or possibly even in late fall. A research team out of Oxford in the UK recently started doing testing on about a thousand or so individuals for their new vaccine that they're developing. And what they're showing is that the results could be promising. Now they're yet to get the complete data back from these thousand individuals, but they say if effective, this vaccine that they're developing could be available as early as September, which is really good news. Also, in my home state of Massachusetts, because God represent, a company called Moderna has recently released data from their own vaccine that they're developing. They released data for eight subjects, and what they showed is that all of them are starting to develop the same antibodies shown in people who have gotten COVID before and have recovered from it. This is really good news. They're hoping to start phase two testing soon and hoping to start phase three testing, which is the critical stage for vaccine development, as early as July. Now, before you go out in the streets and start partying just yet, keep in mind, okay, whether or not these vaccines get approved for use in the United States in particular is subject to the FDA. And these approval processes take time. Even if they fast track it, there are some people who think we may not have vaccines widely available until well into 2021, at earliest possibly January. So even when we go back to school in the fall, if indeed that's what happens in your home state, you've got to be careful. Many aspects of the way we understand life today are going to be extremely different. But we need to keep in mind the bigger picture here. This virus is an extremely real threat, so for better or worse, some social distancing policies are going to have to continue into the next year until the vaccine is widely available and everyone can get it. And that means rethinking everything. The way we do classroom learning, the way we do group events, conferences, things that we need in order to do life. In fact, this will even change our social lives. And I know, that's awful. I'm a college student. I shouldn't be socially restricted. I should be making poor life choices in a frat basement. But sacrifices that we all have to make. At the end of the day, your fun is not worth someone else's life. Your right to work in a standard environment isn't worth someone else's life.
And I know these things are hard. They'll face new challenges that we have never seen before as a species and as a people. But if history has shown us anything, it's that human beings have a remarkable ability for tenacity. As crazy and stupid as we can be sometimes, when it comes to protecting each other, when it comes to making choices that are for the best in humanity, certain events prompt us to be better than we ever had been. And I think that this is one of those few opportunities that history has called upon us to be the bigger people. Right now, we all have a choice. We can either do things that are in our own interest or do things that are in the interest of our fellow man. And at the end of the day, if countless doctors, nurses, scientists, people who work in public policy that are really trying to do good are putting their lives, their careers, everything they hold and love dear on the line for us, isn't the least we can do listen to their recommendations, try and stay inside, social distance as best as we can, even into the upcoming months, to protect our fellow man and to make sure that all of their sacrifice wasn't in vain? I really hope so. But it will be a little more difficult than we had anticipated, especially since, as with any life-changing event that causes great shifts in public policy and attitudes, there are those who will claim that this is nothing more than a giant hoax. Enter the pandemic conspiracy. Seriously? Yeah, I know. It does sound like a rejected plot for a Twilight Zone episode, but trust me, it's real, okay? What this is, is essentially a group of people who believe that the pandemic is not only not real, but is actually an effort by individuals in the government and Big Pharma in order to get all of us to stay inside and make them filthy rich. How exactly this would work given that the economy is currently tanking as a result of the pandemic is beyond me, but these people seem to be very convinced of their position. In fact, one of the foremost pieces of propaganda, because that's what this is instead of actual science, that is being put forward is this documentary titled Plandemic. Now, aside from the filmmaker, the main star of this quote-unquote documentary is one Dr. Judy Mikovits. If you've never heard of her, well, you're probably not alone, because this now disgraced researcher is not exactly someone you would be getting most of your scientific or health advice from. If you're wondering why this is, let me just put it this way. One of her books has a foreword by Robert F. Kennedy. Does that name sound familiar? It should, because this dude, who is probably king of the tinfoil hat kingdom, is the dude who is largely responsible for the World Mercury Project, a pseudo-scientific organization that claims that vaccines, and in particular the alleged mercury that is contained within them, cause autism and a variety of different birth defects and conditions that can lead to death in children. She does this and then has the audacity to state at the beginning of this video that she is quote-unquote not an anti-vaxxer. Regardless, the supposed information presented in this documentary is demonstrably false. Now, a lot of it is historical conspiracy about things that have gone on at the White House around HIV that attempt to paint a really poor picture of Dr. Fauci and philanthropists like Bill Gates. This is not what this podcast is about, so I'm going to spare you any of the historical conspiracy nonsense, but what I can certainly talk about is the science behind what they're saying, and the fact is, that does not pan out either. 
they tried to paint hydroxychloroquine, which we've already talked about, as this sort of miracle drug that the AMA is preventing doctors from prescribing because they know it works and they want to keep the pandemic going as long as possible. But, like we already talked about, there's no evidence to suggest that it currently works. In order to prove that it's really effective, they would have to do a controlled placebo study in which subjects do not know which drug they're receiving in order to actually get any accurate data on the subject. But the fact is, in the context of COVID-19, this has not been done. Yes, they've done plenty of trials on hydroxychloroquine for use in malaria, but that's not the situation we're dealing with. We are not facing a malaria pandemic right now. Also, just a quick side note, the person that they use to try and come forward and paint hydroxychloroquine as a miracle drug calls himself Dr. C. Here's the thing. This quote-unquote doctor is not a medical doctor. He doesn't have a doctorate in nursing either, which would be also perfectly acceptable for someone to have and give medical advice. No. This person isn't a physician's assistant either. In fact, this person is a chiropractor. Yes, you heard that correctly. They had a chiropractor come on to their documentary, wear black scrubs, and pretend to be a doctor to try and give advice about a virus. I don't know if you know a lot about what chiropractors do. Virology is not within their field of expertise. Additionally, the quote-unquote scientific evidence and papers that they try and use in order to prove their point just really don't. I'll give you an example. One of the papers she cites towards the end of the documentary claims to state that a flu vaccine that was given to U.S. Army soldiers between 2017 and 2018 showed an increase in the likelihood for them to contract coronaviruses. There's a couple of problems with this. One, this is operating under a very small subset of people. U.S. Army soldiers, especially in the conditions that they were given, are subject to a wide variety of conditions that the general public is not. They cannot be considered a true control group. It's just information about this vaccine that was given based on the fact that it was distributed to them. In other words, the people who wrote up this information just thought it might be useful for researchers to do actual controlled placebo studies on it. The second point that you have to understand is that these people who were conducting this understand something that clearly Dr. Judah Mikovits did not, which is that in any test, there's likely to be some upward and downward variation. Just because it slightly increased the likelihood doesn't mean it was statistically relevant or significant. And here's the third point, and I really want to hammer this home because this is how you know this entire documentary doesn't know what it's talking about. Look at the date during which the study was published, 2017 to 2018. They claim to say this proved it increased the likelihood of the coronavirus being contracted. I don't know how to tell you this, but during 2017 and 2018, the virus responsible for the current pandemic wasn't a thing. Think about it. This virus started in 2019. That's why it's called COVID-19. What they were talking about was generalized families of coronaviruses, things closer to SARS, MERS, or the common cold. You cannot use that data and try and extrapolate about this virus, which is obviously much different than any of those conditions. At the end of the day, look, the information presented in that documentary is all garbage. But I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're not one of those people who's likely to believe that anyway. And if anything, you're probably more likely on the fence, trying to figure out some answers for yourself. If you're already convinced 
go ahead, wear your tinfoil hat. There's nothing I can do for you, right? But if you're on the fence, if you're scared, you want more information about this, I feel for you, okay? We're all scared. But at the end of the day, this is why it's important to understand the validity of sources, right? It's important to understand how to actually read science, how to look into it. And I want to leave all of you with a few messages here, okay? What we're facing is a pivotal moment in human history. And as I've said from the beginning, the choices we make in this moment will shape not only how history looks at us, but how history will play out. If we continue to do social distancing, if we continue to make the right choices for our fellow man, history and the future will smile upon us. But if we don't, if we prioritize ourselves, what we want, over the health, well-being, and life of our fellow man, we're bound to be doomed. And look, I know that's scary for a lot of you. I know you want to get back to your jobs, to your lives. I want everything to go back to normal just as much as anything else. But we're simply not ready for that right now. And we need to trust each other. We need to trust medical professionals on this because that's the only way it's going to get better. And the longer that we continue to ignore social distancing guidelines, the longer that we think it's not a big deal, the longer this pandemic will last and the more people will die. But I know we can do this. And as misanthropic and sarcastic as I may have come across during this podcast, look, I believe in you. If you do this, and I know you can. We will come out stronger on the other side. To my healthcare workers and essential workers, whether you work in the hospital or the grocery store, whether you deliver groceries or essential drugs, thank you. We would be at a loss without you. Right now, you're the only thing holding this country together. and You will forever have our gratitude. And if you're not one of those people, I want you to take this moment to never look down upon your fellow man again. Because like it or not, the person bagging your groceries right now probably has saved your life in more ways than one. They're risking their lives for you. And if you've lost your job, I'm sorry. I know you want to get back to work. I know you have families to take care of right now. But I ask you to consider this. If you get sick, if your entire family gets sick, how are you supposed to take care of them then? Look, we have to be patient. Trust that things will get better with time. But ignoring social distancing, gathering in front of a government building with hundreds of other people to protest is only going to make things worse. You're asking for a virus to be spread. Quick side note. I just like to say that literally only white people in this country could get away with storming a government building armed with AR-15s and escape with their lives. Could you imagine if I tried to do that? Could you imagine if I tried to do that, my brown ass? If I tried to walk up to a government building armed with an AR-15, the only report you'd hear about it on the news would be a debate between Fox News hosts as to which terrorist organization I belong to, Al-Qaeda or ISIS. And lastly, to the class of 2020. I'm really sorry. I know you don't deserve this. I know you've worked hard your whole lives for this moment. Whether you're graduating high school, college, grad school, 
You deserved a graduation this year. And I'm sorry it didn't come to you. So, let me offer you a bit of advice that I'm sure your valedictorians and salutatorians and commencement speakers would have wanted to give you. Your life is going to change forever. And that's not just because of this pandemic. You're finally grown. You're moving on to a new phase of your life. And especially if you're graduating high school, because I can tell you just a year into college, you learn a lot. It's never really going to be the same. I know you're going to tell yourself you'll hold on to your friendships forever, but people's priorities change. They get focused on their school, their academic careers, the new people and experiences that they have during their first year of college. And all of that starts to change. And I'm not saying you won't still be connected with these people, but eventually, your priorities shift. Everything must come to an end. But that's okay. That's part of life. At the end of the day, even if you don't talk to your high school friends as much, in fact, even if you lose contact with most of them, because if you think about it, how many of your parents' friends from high school do you personally know? The only thing that really matters that you take away from your experiences in high school, college, grad school, is the memories. The lessons that you learned, the laughs that you shared, the moments that will never die, so long as you keep them in your heart. Because that's what's most important. At the end of the day, those memories, those memories are what make life worth living. They're what let you look back on a more innocent time with happiness. And even if you didn't get your graduation, even if you didn't get your cap and gown and get to celebrate with the people that you love, Even if you didn't get to walk across your stage, shake your principal's hand, get that diploma, pose for picture with mom and dad, know that you have earned this. All of your hard work has led up to this and that all of us are so incredibly proud of you. So here's to the class of 2020. Here's to essential workers and healthcare heroes. And here's to you as a human being because I know that no matter what the challenges we face no matter how hard this pandemic has hit us that we can make it through it that human beings more than anything else are marked by our resilience our ability to push forward despite the odds come better as a result of the challenges that we face thanks for tuning in